0: Hi, I'm Lone Candle. I'm answering the question, who's right, the Palestinians or the Israeli Jews? More specifically, today, who has a better claim to the land of Palestine, Judea, and Israel? Who has a better claim to that strip of land below Lebanon, to the southwest of Syria, to the left of Jordan, and to the east of Egypt? Obviously, This is a complex question with many gray areas. But ultimately, considering multiple factors, who has the better claim? Several factors can increase a group's claim. Here are the key ones I'll be focusing on. Who was there first? How did the groups acquire the land? Population exchanges. How long have they governed it? What have they done with it while they've been in power? If a new group was to come to power, what would they likely do? What are the other options for the nations involved? Who was there first? Who had the land first among the current claimants has an obvious appeal because they could be said to have original ownership. Unfortunately, both Israeli Jews and Palestinians have a claim to being there first. The Jews as a people were there first, but more Palestinians have ancestors recently living there compared to many Israeli Jews who are relatively recent immigrants. The last native people to control the land were the Jews. Archaeologists and historians debate exactly when the Jews took over the land, or even whether they took it by conquest or just evolved out of the native peoples. If it was taken by conquest... This likely happened in the 1200s or 1400s B.C. The Jews maintained independence until they were conquered by the Assyrian and Babylonian empires in a multi-stage process that took from 720 to 586 B.C., when Jerusalem was destroyed. Under Persia, starting after 538 B.C., the Jews were allowed to resettle and have a level of self-rule. By 100 B.C., They had regained their independence. Rome conquered the native Jews in 63 BC. Rome, then Eastern Rome, mostly controlled the area until the rise of the Islamic empires. These empires forcefully took the land from Rome and from each other. Palestine was a part of provinces of these empires or was made up of smaller administrative units, while not being an administrative unit itself. Palestine was not an independent state. Under early Islamic empires, there was a province called the Jund Philistine, but it was smaller than the Palestine the British created much later. Since the Mamluks took over in 1250, Palestine was not even a province. Under the Islamic empires, the people of Palestine were initially the Jews, Christians, and others living under Islamic rule. But with time, they became Arabized and converted to Islam, as Muslims were treated better than non-Muslims, and at times, the law made Arabic the language of the state and commerce. By the time the Ottoman Empire fell, the locals would not have primarily referred to themselves as Palestinian. They may have called themselves Syrians or used province names under pre-Ottoman Islamic empires, Es-Sham and Bilad al-Sham. While some claim the idea of Palestine as a geographical area was completely forgotten, this isn't true. Some locals were probably aware of Palestine as a term to refer to an area around Jerusalem. There has never been an independent Palestinian state. The Palestinian Authority was only formed in 1994, whereby a level of self-rule was given to Gaza and the West Bank. If the Palestinian Authority and its successors count as governments of a state, this is the first Palestinian state in history. Not only that, Palestinians as an important identity didn't exist until at least the 1800s, maybe not until the early 1900s, and there's a good argument that that a significant amount of people only saliently identify themselves as the Palestinian people who need a Palestinian state in the 1960s when the PLO decided to promote this idea. Both as an identity and a geographical area, Palestine really only emerged in force in the 1900s. Before that, Palestine was a European term for an area that locals didn't emphasize. To the extent that locals did still think of Palestine, they were thinking of a smaller area than Mandate Palestine created by the British. The main reason Palestine became a defined and highly recognized territory is because the British made it so. They were less influenced by recent administrative units and more by ancient Israel, Judea, and Rome. Essentially, the land was controlled by the native Jews. Then a series of empires controlled the land for thousands of years before the land was returned to the Jews. That's a pretty strong claim to being there first and the rightful native rulers. Unfortunately for the Jews, this is weakened because by the time of modern Zionism, the Jews were only 2-5% of the population. The people living there were not Jewish and did not want to live under a Jewish state. Sometimes you hear 10% as the Jewish population, but this was about 1922, after Jewish migration that began in the 1800s. The Palestinians did not govern the land, and they didn't identify themselves as a distinct and salient group until recently. But they were living there, and they were not Jewish. And if the territory of Palestine was going to become independent, it certainly made sense, for the rulers... To be those that actually live there, not a group consisting of 5% of the population plus recent immigrants. Thousands of years is a long time. At some point, it is too long since control is maintained and the claim to being there first loses to who is there first more recently. As far as humans living in the land, that was the Palestinians who were there before the recent immigrants. This Palestinian claim is mitigated by the fact that many current Palestinians were also recent immigrants who moved there from other parts of the Middle East. For these migrants, their situation was not that different from the Jews who had also moved there recently. In the 1800s, there were large migrations of Muslims from Egypt. 16% of the Muslim population growth in the 1800s could have come from these Egyptian flows, making people from this 7% of the total Muslim population. More Muslim migration occurred in the first half of the 20th century. Some of this because the Jews made the land more prosperous and created opportunities. Still though, most of the Muslim population increases during the time were due to births. The claim mitigation caused by Palestinian migration in the 1800s and before Israeli independence is small for three reasons. One, despite a fair amount of migration, Most of the increases in Muslim populations were due to births. Two, these immigrants mostly assimilated into the native population. Three, not only did the Jews not assimilate because they had a distinctive identity and considerably different European cultures, but they demanded their own state on the land. So, despite some Muslim migration in the two centuries before Israeli independence, Most of the people who were forced to live in or next to a Jewish state were long-time natives, and those Muslims that did recently immigrate were assimilating into these natives. To conclude this section on who was there first, Due to the last Jewish state being gone for thousands of years, and due to the remaining native Jews only being a twentieth of the population, I'd say the Palestinian claim to being there first, despite its own weaknesses, is stronger. They were the people living there before the mass migration of Jews. Their claim doesn't completely counter the Jewish claim. Because the Jews were the last native state in the land, the Jewish claim still has some weight, but not as much as the Palestinian claim to being there first. Being the people actually living on the land before Zionist migration is a greater claim than having had a state on the land almost 2,000 years ago. You don't get to show up 2,000 years later and say, Hey, my people had a country here a long time ago. Give me a state. The people already living there have the better claim to say, I'm already living here, and if this land is going to be independent, it should be ruled by people like me, rather than these new arrivals. How did the groups acquire the land? Back in the BC days, the Jews either took the land as an invading army or evolved out of the local Canaanites. Later, they lost it to the invading Romans who lost it to invading Islamic empires who lost it to each other. None of these conquests were just. They were wars of conquest and the land was taken by force. The more relevant focus is how did modern Israel come to govern the land? The more just the acquirement, the better their claim to the land. The less just, the worse the claim. As a part of their culture, Jews always remembered that their homeland was the land of Palestine. Their large diaspora throughout the Middle East and Europe had often faced heavy discrimination, sometimes being slaughtered. This created the urge to find a safe place for the Jews to live and govern themselves. The thought was that the only way the Jewish people could be safe was if they could rule themselves and protect themselves as an independent nation. This movement was called Zionism, and naturally, many Zionists thought that the proposed state should be in the ancient Jewish homeland. Zionism began during the Ottoman Empire in the 1800s. This was the last Islamic empire to control the land. The Ottomans didn't want Jews moving in, but they did so anyways. They purchased their land from current owners. So, while they may have been defying the authorities by moving in, they did purchase their land. So this land was not taken by force. After World War I, the British controlled the territory. The Nazi Holocaust and a series of pogroms in Eastern Europe strengthened the Zionist urge, and many Jews moved to Palestine. Jews in the UK and in Palestine strongly pushed the British for an Israeli state. Intercommunal violence started before the British left. There were instances of anti-Jewish pogroms where Jews were slaughtered. Some extremist Jewish groups fought a guerrilla war against British military, administrative, and economic targets and sometimes targeted Arab civilians. The civilian targeting tactics of these groups were rejected by mainstream Jewish leaders, and at times, Jews worked with the British to help capture these guerrillas. By 1948, Jewish and Palestinian militia groups were prepared to fight for the land. The British turned the problem over to the UN, who proposed a two-state solution. Two new countries would be born. Some of the land would be given to a Jewish country called Israel, and some would be given to the other inhabitants. While the Jews were given a majority of the land, that's largely because they were given a lot of crappy desert land. The Palestinians rejected this plan, and when the British left, a civil war commenced. The Jews won that war, and then had to fight against invading Arab armies. They won that war too, and were then an independent country. During the fighting, Many Palestinian inhabitants fled. Some fled out of fear of the Jews. Some fled because they were told to by Arab leaders, and others were forced out by Jewish armies. After the war, these people were not allowed to return. This immigration, as well as the creation of Israel, is called the catastrophe in the Arab world, often called by its Arab name, the Nakba. This process is how the Israeli state was born and how it gained much of its territory, through war and people fleeing war. However, it wasn't through a classic war of conquest, so it wasn't a pure immoral crime like an invasion would be. It differs in at least three ways. One, the Jews supported splitting the land peacefully. They generally supported the UN partition. It was the Palestinians who rejected that peaceful solution. This is an understandable reaction by the Palestinians. It is they who had lived there. Why should they have shared any of the land with the new immigrants? If the new immigrants wanted to live there, it should have been under a state controlled by the natives. Nevertheless, the Jews wanted a peaceful splitting of the land, and the Arabs rejected it. 2. The Jews did not launch an invasion of conquest. Arguably, their 1948 war was a war of self-defense. They had to defend themselves against their Palestinian neighbors, then had to defend themselves against invading Arab armies. Taking lands and homes in a war of self-defense has a different moral nature than taking them in a war of pure invasion. The Palestinians could have split the land peacefully with the Jews. They chose war instead, then lost that war. Wars have consequences. Third, the Jews moved into the land in the first place peacefully. They purchased the land, then moved there and worked it. Afterwards, conflict began. This makes the fight somewhat like a civil war, rather than like a foreign invasion. So, the Jews acquired the land by peacefully immigrating, purchasing land when they came. Then they asked for and were granted their own state by the United Nations, which was followed by intercommunal and interstate wars that were complicated and arguably defensive wars where Israel gained more land. And the homes of people fleeing those wars, as well as the homes of people forced out by Israelis, were taken over by Israelis. This is not a just takeover of the land, but it's not an invasion of conquest either. Ultimately, the birth of modern Israel doesn't lend much support to the Israeli claim to the land, as Palestinians were the vast majority of the population, then recent immigration and victories in wars created Israel. However, that the immigration itself was peaceful, and that, after a guerrilla war mostly targeting the British, Jews wanted a peaceful splitting of the land, and that their wars were arguably defensive, makes this not a complete black eye. More of a gray eye. Overall, it's not right for immigrants to move in and then demand a new state. But once living there, it does make sense for them to want a say in their governance. And if the Jews differed so much in how they should be governed compared to the local Arabs, a two-state solution was not a crazy idea. And once there is fighting, once it turns to violence, defending your people against others is not an invasion, but war done in defense. Still, the Israeli colonization is a form of aggression. They went to a land that already had people living on it, and then expected to be given authority over a section of the land and the people in it. The people who were there first are justified in saying no, and it makes sense that they would fight to remain in control of all of the land. Even if not a full-blown invasion, the Jews' acquirement of the land was ultimately by force. Israel took more land in later wars, but those wars were defensive, And taking land from aggressors for the purpose of defending against future aggression, or for the purpose of deterring future aggression, is justified. The Claims Up To This Point Up to this point, the Israeli story is that they were discriminated against for thousands of years, including the mass slaughter that was the Holocaust. They wanted a state where they ruled so they could defend themselves. They controlled the area of Palestine almost 2,000 years ago. It was their ancient home and treasured land. They were the last native state to exist there, as since then it was controlled by empires. That makes them the true natives. They moved back peacefully, supported UN partition plans, and were attacked by local pogroms, local militias, and neighboring armies. In defense, they took more land, all of which belonged to ancient Jewish kingdoms. The Palestinian story is that although they didn't identify as a people until recently, they were living on the land and had been for some time. A bunch of Jews showed up uninvited and said, Hey, some of this is our land now. The Palestinians reasonably said, No, you don't get some of my house just because you moved in uninvited. Maybe you can live here, but you don't get to rule parts of the land. Palestinian militias were willing to fight to keep control of their land and prevent foreigners from suddenly controlling it. They lost that fight, and newcomers took their land. Actually living on the land for some time is a better claim than, then still having a 5% minority of the population and having had a state there almost 2,000 years ago. In 1948, the year the modern state of Israel was born, the Palestinians had a better claim to the land. Unfortunately for the Palestinian claim, time didn't stop in 1948. Population Exchanges How the land and authority was acquired is complicated by the population exchanges that happened after 1948. Jews across Europe and the Middle East flocked to Israel. Many of them faced discrimination in their home countries. Jews had always faced a level of discrimination in the Middle East. They were second-class citizens but still had long periods of flourishing and often had it better in the Middle East than Europe. World War II Nazi propaganda and Arab nationalism increased discrimination in the Middle East. Discrimination increased further as a result of Israel's independence and victories in later wars in the 20th century. Jews faced different problems in different countries. They had their homes destroyed, their property stolen, homes looted, shops looted, and were... "...murdered in pogroms, killed in riots, murdered in bombings and shootings, dismissed from civil service, limited in the number of university positions they could take, unfairly arrested and murdered, detained and tortured, boycotted, forced to flee mobs, banned from citizenship, expelled by some governments, warned by Arab leaders that they would be murdered, branded as Zionists and enemies of the state, prohibited from traveling, barred from working for government or banks." barred from obtaining driver's license or having telephones, barred from purchasing property, and forced to leave their property behind in the many countries they fled. Many of these events were spontaneous, but some may have been orchestrated by Muslim states in revenge for Israel's independence and its victory in subsequent wars. Before Israeli independence, Arab leaders warned that Jews in Muslim countries would be massacred and persecuted if the Jews were given a state. Arab governments had similar legislation and decrees that discriminated against Jews. At times, the bad treatment of Jews appeared to have been planned revenge for the creation of Israel. As a result of this persecution, Jews fled Muslim countries. Israel also actively recruited Jews to migrate. Some Jews left primarily because of discrimination, but some primarily because Israel convinced them to move, others because they were inspired to live in the Jewish homeland. And some may have hoped for better economic opportunities in Israel and the West. Many of these communities were ancient. Moving to a new country is a heavy price. People don't do such a thing lightly. And it's not like the migrants had high-paying jobs waiting for them in Israel. It takes a strong incentive to pick up everything and leave your home. For many, that incentive was a legitimate fear of murder, theft, and second-class status. Almost 900,000 Jews left Middle Eastern countries, 600,000 of these going to Israel. This changes things. After these post-1948 migrations, the people of Israel are no longer the historical Jewish minority combined with Zionists moving into lands controlled by the Ottomans or British. Many Israelis were immigrants fleeing discrimination and searching for a better life in a land and state that their people actually controlled. To end the state of Israel would be to end this safe haven and self-determination for all Israelis who fled persecution elsewhere. Furthermore, Palestinians are not an isolated identity group. They are part of the larger Arab world. They are Arabs. Until recently, they saw themselves much more as Arabs or Muslims than Palestinians. It's not clear why in 1948, the Palestinians needed to maintain a separate independence from the Arab countries that surrounded Israel. They could have joined these countries and been a part of their fellow Arabs. Some Arabs proposed Palestine being a part of Syria instead of creating a Jewish state. So, many Arabs fled or were forced out during the 1948 wars, and many Jews migrated, often due to persecution, from Arab lands. One exodus doesn't justify the other. But at the end of the day, we have a population exchange between Israel and Arab lands. Also Turkey and Iran. Worldwide, population exchanges have happened in many places. They aren't ideal. People forced to leave their homes for grander ethnic or political reasons is horrible for those individuals. But population exchanges have happened in order to create ethnic states where certain groups would not have to be discriminated against by another. And, once the exchanges have happened, the refugees who fled their homes move on and make the best lives that they can in their new home. In the case of Palestinians in Arab countries, they could, over time, blend in with their fellow Muslim Arabs and live good lives, like how Moroccan Jews, Iraqi Jews, Egyptian Jews, Polish Jews, German Jews, and Russian Jews did in Israel. Or, Palestinian refugees can forge their own state in a two state solution. Instead, a significant number cling to the past, creating a never ending violent conflict. Close to 600,000 Middle Eastern Jews fled discrimination to join their people in a land they already controlled. Around half of Israel's Jewish population is descendants of Jews who migrated from Middle Eastern countries. It would be wrong to once again force them under the rule of Arab Muslims, who at some point will discriminate or worse. Israel became the refuge of Jews from across Europe and the Middle East. It was wrong to create it in the first place when other people already lived on that land. But once it has become that refuge, and people have already migrated, many as a result of threats to their lives, it would be wrong to take their country and refuge from them. The mass migration to Israel, especially immigration from persecuting Arab states where Jews had sometimes lived for 2,000 years, increases Israel's claim to the land. How long have they governed it? Another factor is how long the current rulers have governed the territory. Let's say a thousand years ago, People A unethically conquered and ethnically cleansed People B from a territory. But that was a thousand years ago. Since then, generation after generation of People A have been born and died in that territory. They created lives and traditions there. They made the country their own. The people currently alive had nothing to do with the unethical invasion. They were just born into a country that was theirs and grew up and lived there. To, quote, set things right by removing them from their land or forcing them to live under the control of another people would be devastating for the currently living who had nothing to do with past wrongs. They didn't steal the land. They are just simply the owners now. In this hypothetical, I said a thousand years. But how many years must pass for these conditions to be true? Israel gained independence in 1948. Someone born in 1948 is 76 now. Anyone old enough to have actually been involved in the war for independence is dead. Current Israeli Jews were simply born in a land that their parents lived in. They were born into the land of their people. To force them off the land of their birth, or to destroy the country of their birth, would be devastating to them, even though they personally didn't wrong anyone. Possibly, every country on earth was at some point unjustly taken from people who lived there previously. The world would be in constant conflict, death, and chaos if we tried to right those wrongs. At some point, the people born to a land are the people of that land, and we need to leave it at that. At some point, people born in Israel are from Israel, and people born in Gaza are from Gaza. Israel has governed their lands long enough for their current ownership to add to their claim. What have they done with it while they've been in power? Another question is what have the current rulers done with the land while there? Israel is a flourishing and wealthy democracy. The people there have created high-tech technology and medical innovations. They created a beautiful burgeoning society. They have done so in a region of dictators and relatively poor economies. It's likely that any Arab or Palestinian control over Palestine would not have created such a free and prosperous society. Having built such economic productivity and wealth, it would be wrong to take it from them. One may object that this wealth is built on the back of others, but that's not really true. It's not like the Jews stole a Palestinian farm and then made it slightly better. The nature of their productivity is that of a modern democratic capitalist state. The main inputs to this wealth are their hard work and innovation, not stolen orchards. Another aspect of what they have done is how they treat minorities. Israel is not an ideal democracy. In the United States, we are all equal citizens of the country. We aren't just given equal rights under the law, but in spirit all belong to the country. In Israel, that fundamentally can't be Israel is intentionally a Jewish state, so anyone living there who is not Jewish is to some extent living in a foreign land, even if born there and given full rights as a citizen. Nevertheless, Israel treats its minorities well when we are speaking of Palestinian Israelis living in Israel proper. When it comes to Palestinians living in the West Bank and Gaza, Israel has not treated them well. Israel is very accepting of civilian casualties when fighting terrorism or civil unrest in these areas. However, Israel is not governing these people. These people are governed by their own governments. Yes, Israel has a lot of control, but considering terrorists pose a direct threat to Israel, their actions are more like that of a foreign government fighting a foreign threat than a government abusing its own people. If the Israeli Palestinian issues were resolved and therefore terrorism ended, Israel and these other territories would be governed separately, and Israel would have no reason to interfere. So, how Israel treats the people of Gaza and the West Bank is less Israel persecuting against minorities and more Israel fighting a war against foreign terrorists. That sucks for the people in the middle, but Israel doesn't have good options when fighting against those using terrorist tactics and those who refuse to accept Israel's right to exist. Israel slowly takes more West Bank land by new and expanded settlements. Maybe Israel should control such land in some sort of final peace deal, but unilaterally taking this land by often violent settlers is wrong. Despite some significant black eyes, the people of Israel have built a democracy more prosperous than most countries on earth. That is their creation. They made that. It increases their claim to the land. If a new group was to come to power, what would they likely do? Asking what would happen if a new group came to power may not be relevant to who has the better claim if who has the better claim on other grounds was clear cut. But when we are in a gray area, it is morally important to consider what would happen if the current control changed hands. Right now, Israel gives its Arab citizens rights. Israel is very violent when fighting terrorism, and there are civilian casualties. But those casualties are at least as much the terrorists' fault. If the state of Israel was ended and control given to Palestinians, what would be the likely outcome? In the Arab world, countries are usually either controlled by a dictator or by Islamists. Either way, this would be a downgrade in the freedom of Israelis. Such politics would also likely destroy Israel's economic vibrancy, further damaging the current people. The Arab world has persecuted their Jewish minorities, and most of them have long since fled. It's quite likely that either right away or some years down the line, a Palestinian takeover would lead to anti-Jewish pogroms. The strongest and most willing fighters in the Middle East are often those motivated by radical Islam. Such fighters would likely dominate a post-Israel government. It's not unlikely that in a fury of Jewish hate, Inspired by Palestinian nationalism, past grievances, and certain readings of Islam, Palestinians would slaughter Jews, either on their own or led by their government. Palestinian Israelis often comment that they'd rather live in Israel than under a Palestinian state. They say this because they know that their wealth and freedom are better protected and encouraged under Israel than under a Palestinian state, a government that replaced Israel would likely make all current Israelis, Jewish and Muslim, worse off. So that is some weight on the claim of Israel. What are the other options for the nations involved? We are discussing the rights and welfare of nations, not just individuals. Part of who has the better claim is what are the alternatives for the nations involved. Palestinian as a salient identity is new. Palestinians are essentially Arabs, most of them Islamic Arabs. They have the option of joining one of the many other Arab states. Otherwise, Palestinians could accept that the descendants of refugees cannot return to Israel and must make their home where they are and accept a negotiated two-state agreement. These are both viable options, either join the fellow Arabs in one of the many Arab countries or accept that Israel exists without a right of return as part of a two-state solution although doing so would require compromise and concessions on the part of Israel and or neighboring Arab states. Jews, on the other hand, have no Jewish country other than Israel. It is Israel or no country at all. That gives them a strong claim when it comes to the question of what the other options are for the nations involved. That said, Jews don't win this question hands down, for having no country at all is an option. Jews existed and even thrived without a country for thousands of years. However, such flourishing was always under the constant fear that the current government of their lands or their current neighbors may sometime in the future turn on them. This happened again and again as Jews were killed, persecuted, and ethnically cleansed. One of the original motivations for the state of Israel was that the Jews had been persecuted throughout history living in other people's lands. The Holocaust was seen as the last straw that showed the plight of the Jewish people. In Israel, seemed like the only place that Jews could live and have the power to defend themselves. This argument had some weight in 1948, so fresh after the Holocaust. But I think it's clear that Jews can live and thrive safely in at least one place. Jews in the United States have great lives. They flourish here and are at least as safe here as they are in Israel. It's not clear that the Jews need Israel just to survive or be safe, although for them all to migrate to the U.S. would require U.S. legal changes. So, for the Jews to live in a Jewish nation, they have no choice but Israel, while Palestinians can join one of the many other Arab nations or accept a two-state solution. But, for Jews to live safe and successful lives, they don't need their own country. The Jews win! Congratulations! The question of who has a better claim on the territory of Palestine is a tough one. Both groups have legitimate claims for different reasons, and there doesn't need to be an all or none because the territory can be split into two separate states. But I think it's important to understand the respective weights of the people's claims. All things considered, the Jews have the stronger claim. The last native state to control the land was a Jewish state. Since Rome took over, Palestine has been controlled by empires or foreign states. The Jews have deep historical and religious ties to the land, and some of their population never left. The Jews had been discriminated against for thousands of years, and after the Holocaust, it seemed that the only way Jews could be safe was to have their own state. While these historical facts have some weight, in 1948, they were not enough to justify their claim. The Palestinians were the ones actually living there, and most Jews were recent immigrants. It was wrong of the Jews to get a state in a land where they were recent immigrants. If they wanted to live there, they should have lived under the rule of the people already residing there. Israel was born in war. War is not a pristine way to gain a country. However, Land they acquired in 1948 and land they gained in subsequent wars was land gained in defensive wars. Israel wanted a two-state solution in 1948, and it was rejected. They gained their land by war, but they wanted it by peace. Land gained in defensive wars can sometimes be justly kept. Nevertheless, there were people living in Palestine. Then Jews came and created a state on part of that land. That was wrong. Since then, the Jewish claim has strengthened. Jews fled Arab lands, many due to persecution, and migrated to Israel, creating something like a population swap between Arabs and Jews. Israel has become a state far surpassing its Arab neighbors in productivity and freedom, at least for Israeli citizens. Almost 80% of Jews living in Israel were born in Israel. The Jewish historical and survival claims have been bolstered by the country they have built and that now the people living there are natively born to the country of Israel. To the extent that Israel exerts control over the West Bank and Gaza and are accepting of civilian deaths when fighting terrorists, that is at least as much the fault of the terrorists and those who refuse to accept Israel's right to exist. Israel has no good option when it comes to defending itself from terrorists who target Israeli civilians and reject Israel's right to exist. At this point in time, it would be a great wrong to end the state of Israel and force the Jews to live under Arab Muslims who at some point would likely discriminate against or slaughter Jews, especially considering the influence of Islamist terrorist groups in Palestine. The Jews taking control of the land instead of the resident Arabs was a wrong of history. So was China conquering its empire, Russia tricking and slaughtering Siberian natives, the United States stealing from American Indians, the Franks invading Gaul, and a seemingly infinite number of atrocities that created today's modern states. At some point, the wrongs are in the past and we have to look at the status quo Israel is a flourishing democracy. It has some major problems, but those pale in comparison to its Arab neighbors. Israel didn't have a right to exist, but it does now. Look, I get if Palestinians want to hold on to the historical wrongs and accept nothing but one state from the river to the sea. I get if they want to only accept solutions that will end Israel as a Jewish state. But, that will always hit the wall of Israelis unwilling to give up their Jewish state. And the cause of fighting to undo historical wrongs is no longer so just when we consider the strengthening of Jewish claims since 1948. Palestinians fighting this only somewhat just fight against the status quo are a serious security threat to Israel. In such a situation, Israel has no choice but to defend itself with violence, control, and and unilateral action, creating Palestinian victims who may have personally been willing to make serious compromises. I get why Palestinians would choose to take on that fight, but if they choose to cling to that cause, then a well-informed world should not offer them aid or slander Israel, for it is those Palestinian fighters who brought the violence on themselves and their fellow Palestinians. While I'm sympathetic to the Palestinian historical claims and how they have gotten It's time to move on, accept Israel's right to exist, and make the compromises necessary to create a two-state solution. If they cannot do that, then a state of perpetual conflict will go on eternally. Now, just to be clear, although I favor some sort of two-state solution... I don't have a genius plan for how to get there. After the failure of the peace process coincided with the Second Intifada and the resulting hardening of Israelis, with continued terrorist attacks from Hamas and other groups and people, and the seemingly endless march toward new and expanded settlements by the Israelis, the peace process is in quite a rut. It has to start, though, with the two sides accepting the other's right to exist, as a state in peace. Without that, peace won't get off the ground. I'm Lone Candle. Light me, comment me, love me. Salamat Taiski Merci beaucoup